0: It is a blessing to have each of you, and I said at the beginning of the service today, but Happy New Year. It is great to be able to join together for 2022 and looking forward to seeing what God does and how he moves in our midst. G.K. Chesterton once said that the object of a new year is not that we should have a new year, but that we should have a new soul, a new nose, new feet, a new backbone, and new eyes. What he was saying is that this is an opportunity for more than a calendar change. This is an opportunity for all of us to be made completely new. By the way, that's not unique to New Year's. Every single day we ought to be dying to sin so that we would choose life in Jesus Christ. As we begin this new year, I am very much aware that the Christian life has changed much over the past few decades. And you can blame the upcoming generation, or you can blame the older generation who paved the way for what we have today. But what it comes down to is that being a Christian seems seems to mean something completely different from what it used to mean. There's no doubt that there are things that we need to get back to as a church. There are things in our past that were beautiful and healthy that somehow we have left behind. Things like holiness, sanctification, sacrifice, and even humility and respect. Did you know that those seem to be missing quite a bit even in the church today? Do you remember The days when the church truly existed for the primary purpose of glorifying God by reaching the lost, by developing new disciples, and allowing the word of God to become so relevant that it actually impacted our daily lives. Do you remember when the church had such incredible influence upon our world That sin was addressed even among the ungodly as opposed to the world influencing the church. I read this week the story of a familiar song, Amazing Grace. It was written by a man named John Newton, a man who had served for many years as a slave trader. He was perhaps one of the most ungodly of men that you could ever imagine. In fact, he spoke of it on occasions. Perhaps that's why he could write and sing so clearly about God's amazing grace. Yet one night, while on his slave trading ship, he surrendered his life to Jesus Christ. He would leave the slave trading business behind and even become an Anglican minister. And as he began to preach about God's amazing grace to others, he befriended a man named William Wilberforce. This converted slave trader now found himself preaching against the evils of slavery and the world was listening. In fact, the first government to ever outlaw slavery was the British Parliament under the leadership of William Wilberforce. The church was changing the world. I could give you countless other examples where the church impacted our world. We look at that and we say, well, those are the good old days. But There's also the reality that some of the things from the good old days likely needed to change. For example, throughout the years, a sense of complacency and even laziness developed within the church. I know, you'd rather hear me talk about all the good. It sounds much better. But the truth is, complacency and laziness permeated throughout the church, even among my generation and the generation before me a mindset developed that suggested that we're all good as long as we've said a prayer, as long as we've been baptized, we've become church members, we've paid our tithes. And the idea of true spiritual maturity became something that we expected only for those who were among the clergy. Or we wanted more spiritual knowledge, but we didn't actually need to apply it to our daily lives. In other words, we went to Sunday school, soaking it all in, but failing to take it out of our seats and take this great truth to a hurting world that desperately needed it. What happened was we became focused on what happens within these four walls of the church, and we neglected the fact that there was a world out there that needed Jesus Christ. The time has come for the church to get back to the basics. It's time for us to get back to doing the things that were foundationally right, because they are still foundationally right. It is time for us to master the core of our faith so that we can truly experience all that God has for us. And that's what I want to focus on as a church for the majority of 2022. As we start this new year, I also want us to look at a new series. It's entitled The Church Reborn. It's a detailed look at the seven letters to the seven churches listed in the book of Revelation. They were churches that they had much to build on. They had done much good and had made the world a better place. These seven churches were very impactful to the world. Yet somewhere along the way, many of these churches seem to have wandered from what they were intended to be. No doubt. There are many lessons that we can and we must learn from these seven churches. If you would, I'm going to invite you to turn in your Bibles. We're going to be in the book of Revelation, chapter 2, and we're going to look at the first seven verses. This is the letter to the church at Ephesus, and it's a beautiful letter, and it does in many ways start out very positive, but there's a lesson for us that we need to learn because maybe we can relate very, very well to the church at Ephesus. I'm going to tell you already, as a matter of fact, while you're turning, there are two churches that I think that the church in America can most closely relate to in the book of Revelation. And one of them is the church here at Ephesus. This is what it says in Revelation chapter 2, 1 through 7. To the angel of the church at Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, and your patient endurance and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and you found them to be false. I know you are enduring patiently and bearing up for my namesake and you have not grown weary, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent, repent. Next week, I'm going to take a little bit more time looking at the model of each of these letters because it's important to see that there is an intentionality within the address that Jesus gives. But for today, I want to focus more on the content of this letter. But you do need to know a couple of things that are important in order to fully comprehend what is being said. First, you need to know that these letters, based on the first verse there, they're delivered by John, but they are actually God's word to God's people. What that means is that if God is the one who is speaking, then we probably ought to listen. Nothing against anyone in this room, but if Jimmy is speaking, it'd be nice for me to listen, but the reality is, it's Jimmy. It's not the same as God. Nothing against you, Jimmy. Jimmy. The point is that if God's the one that's speaking, you better listen. This is God speaking to his people. But it also means that this is not addressed to those outside the body of Christ. This is addressed to the church. So often we want to fix everyone else's sin problem, but clearly... God feels the need to focus on the spiritual needs of those who are inside the church too. But they're already good, aren't they? I mean, they, they've prayed, they are Christians, they're, they're going to heaven. Isn't that a get out of hell free card? In John ten ten, Jesus declared, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. And then he adds, but I came that they may have life. And have it abundantly. He's not just offering us life. He is offering us an abundant life. He doesn't want us to just get by so that we can avoid hell. But rather, he wants this life to be changed. He wants us to be different. So the point is that God is very much concerned with the church. He wants us to be right with him. So pay attention to what he says He's talking to us. But I also want you to notice that it's not all bad. Have you ever been pulled into the principal's office or perhaps the boss's office? It can be a very scary experience as you often assume you must be in trouble. You're expecting some type of correction or you're assuming that maybe you might even get fired. But those meetings aren't always for correction. Sometimes the principal or maybe the boss may just want to commend you for the great work that you've been doing. A couple Sundays ago, our youth ministry had the honor of delivering of delivering some food to families in need within our community. We did so alongside the Clemson City Police Department. Of course, we simply came dressed in our normal attires on a Sunday afternoon, so I was dressed similar to this. I think I had a red shirt on just because that's what you do at Christmas time. But the officers were in uniform, and you could sense the feeling of discomfort as officers walked up to the front doors. On one occasion, the officer was greeted with, what's the problem, officer? And you could hear it in the tone of voice that somebody was not happy that the police were showing up at their house. When she explained what we were doing, the resident's tone of voice changed significantly. I half expected to see people fleeing out of the back of houses when they saw us coming up to the front door. But it's not always for bad things. Jesus begins this letter by focusing on some great things that are happening within the church. He says, I, I know your works. I know your deeds. I know the things that you're doing, your toil and your patient endurance and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but you've tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and found them to be false. I know that you're enduring patiently and bearing up for my namesake and you have not grown weary. You know what he's saying here? Good job. You're doing what you're supposed to do. And the church at Ephesus really had come a long way. We're first introduced to them in Acts chapter 18, as Paul is on his second missionary journey. It appears that he was only in Ephesus for a very short period of time, but it also appears that while he was there, he planted a church. Later, In that same chapter, in Acts 18, as Paul has gone on to minister elsewhere, leaving some of his own disciples behind in Ephesus, we see that another great teacher within the New Testament church arrives. His name is Apollos. And again, in Acts chapter 19, we see that Paul, on his third missionary journey, would stop again in Ephesus, this time staying for between two and three years. The point of this is to see that this church had a great heritage. Oh sure, there were problems, but the truth is they had the apostle Paul as their founder. They had great teachers who stayed there and ministered and helped them to grow. And then Paul came back and lived with them for two or three years, pouring himself into the ministry. They had heard the truth spoken clearly. And although there were challenges that came with being in such a large, influential city, the church seems to have flourished. In fact, Acts chapter 19 reveals that one of the catalysts for Paul and his departure after his two to three year stint is the fact that people were almost entirely turning away from their sinful past. That's a church that's influencing the community. It tells us that the silversmiths who made the idols for the people, that they came together to oppose Paul because people no longer needed their idols. Why did they not need their idols? It's because they had found Jesus. I remember an occasion when I was pastoring in Colorado that was similar. Our church was flourishing, experiencing incredible growth we were there for about two and a half years, and during that time, that church about doubled. Well, among those whom we were reaching were several people from a nearby Mormon church. In case it's unclear, the Mormon church is not a Christian organization. They're not just another denomination. They are a cult. In fact, although they have sought to market themselves as Christian Their own scriptures refer to us, those whom we call Christians, as the whore of Babylon. And although I do admire the devotion which many Mormons have for their faith, they are not Christian. Anyways, one Sunday we had a couple of guests in our service. They were not very friendly, but they really weren't there to make friends. They wore name tags they revealed their affiliation to the church of jesus christ of the latter day saints aka the mormons they sat and they listened to the service and then made their way to the foyer in the back of the church it was at that point that they began to confront several former mormons who had begun to follow jesus christ I can still remember my senior pastor quickly stepping in front of them to interrupt the conversation while he also thanked them for coming and going. Well, I imagine these blacksmiths who are losing their source of income because people realize that they no longer need them. They don't need idols. They found Jesus instead. The church at Ephesus would have persecution and the threat of death constantly because of who they were and because of how devoted they were to Christ. But they would not be deterred. They were fully committed to Jesus. What's interesting to me about this church is that they seem to be fully devoted not just to calling themselves Christians, but to holiness. They don't tolerate evil. They even, they've been faithful to call out those who are false teachers. I'll tell you, this is a battle that still rages within the church. On the one hand, we are not to tolerate evil. God has called us to be a holy people. We've got a new ministry that starts up this Tuesday night to help people in recovery, and the goal is not to help people cope with their addiction, their pain, and their sin. The goal is to help people be set free from those things. We don't want to tolerate evil. We wanna help people find the remedy which is Jesus Christ. But we also have worked hard to even avoid some of the false teachers among us. I know that most people don't pay much attention to where we get our music, but we have tried as a church to avoid music that comes out of heretical churches. There are preachers out there, and this may surprise you. Maybe the only time you ever listen to preachers is when you come to church here on Sunday. If that's the case, great. Because there are some preachers out there that are not preaching the truth. Instead, they're preaching very much anti-biblical teachings, and it's not acceptable. Yet these teachers are followed by thousands of people every single week. And I'm not just talking about people who said something that they regretted afterwards. I'm talking about people who blatantly teach things that they know are biblically wrong. And I don't want any of our people to get sucked in to any type of false teaching. So as a church, we have sought to do what you see described here in these first few verses of Revelation. In fact, I would suggest to you that this church can relate very well to Ephesus. You're seeking holiness. We're seeking to root out those who are false teachers. And I say to you, good job. But there's also a word of caution. You see, if this letter to the church at Ephesus had ended in verse 3, we could all just sit around and feel pretty good about ourselves. Yeah, look at us. We're holy. We're calling people out. My guess is that some of us have felt that way at times. We've been obedient. We're not like those guys. So we just assume that we're all good. But Jesus continues with his address to the church at Ephesus. He says, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love you had at first. In another version, this verse reads that you have abandoned your first love. This is a curious assessment after the church has just been commended for their devotion to holiness. Think about it. You've been faithful. You've not grown weary. You have kept the law. You're calling other people to keep the law, but you have abandoned your first love. If they're choosing holiness, they're doing what's right, aren't they? I mean, you would think that sounds right. So what did he mean when he said, you have also abandoned your first love? My, my wife was talking with a family member who had grown up in the church several years back. He had a pretty good amount of biblical knowledge from another Christian denomination. And as Linda mentioned, having a relationship with God, he interrupted her. He said, I've been in the church all my life, And I have never heard of having a personal relationship with God. It would seem that he had learned to be good, but not to love God. You see, there is a danger where sometimes what we have done is we have focused so much on being good, on being holy, on living according to a certain standard, but we do not actually focus on what this is really all about which is a relationship with Jesus Christ. Or Maybe have you ever reluctantly done something simply because it was the right thing to do? I imagine that most of us have done that at some point or another. Maybe you read your Bible or you write your tithe check or you get up and go to church on Sunday morning. And if someone asked you why you did it, the answer would simply be because that's what we're supposed to do. What if God is looking for more than just obedience? What if He were looking for hearts that were fully devoted to Him? Not just actions, but looking for hearts that are fully devoted to Him. The Lord said to the prophet Jeremiah, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. It's so funny. Within that verse, he talks about the heart and the deeds. They go hand in hand. And in Luke six forty-five, Jesus declared that the good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil, for out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. And on multiple occasions in the Old and the New Testament, we are told to love the Lord our God with all our heart. See, I do believe very clearly that God desires obedience from his people. He wants us to live good lives that reflect the work and grace that he has extended to us. But God also wants our hearts more than anything else. And the logic is simple. You can do good things and not be right with God. We see it every day in those outside the church. But if you are right with God, if your first love is still intact, then you will do good things why Jesus said in John 14:15 that if you love me you will keep my commandments. Obedience doesn't necessarily lead to love, but love for God will always lead to obedience. So let me ask you today, do you really love God? Now it should be noted that regardless of your answer to that question, his love for you has already been settled. Nothing shall separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. But the question is is not whether he loves you. Do you love God? Consider the fact that you have a creator who has demonstrated his sacrificial love for you by sending his son to die for you. I told you we're going to focus on getting back to the basics here. Consider the fact that every blessing we have ever experienced came because of him. Consider the fact that in our greatest moments of need, he has always been and will always be there for us. Consider the fact that although many others have failed us, he never will fail us. Do you see any reason that we ought to love him? I do. Well, in this case with the church at Ephesus, there was a time that they got it because they had their first love. But somewhere along the way, their love for God appears to have waned. Again, they may be good, but their love for God is not what it should be. It has become secondary. I imagine that many of us can relate. So how do we fix it? Jesus gives a recipe to make things right. Verse 5 tells us to remember, therefore, where you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. Again, another version that says, remember the height from which you have fallen. You were up here. This is where you were supposed to be. And now you find yourself all the way down here. Remember what it was like when you were up there? Within this verse, there are three steps to making things right. The first is to remember. Think back to when you first surrendered your life to Jesus Christ? Do you remember the, the passion that once filled you for more of Him? Do you remember the peace that overwhelmed you, knowing that all of your sins have been washed away? All of the regret and shame has been cleared. You have a clean slate. Do you remember the peace that you had? Do you remember the comfort? And knowing that God loved you in spite of all that you had done. Do you remember the the hunger that you had to change the world or at least your portion of the world? Knowing that you had the most beautiful gift ever. Do you want that back? If so, you must, according to this passage, the second thing first was remember, second thing is you must repent. I talked about this in our Christmas Eve service, but this is a turning away. You were going one direction and now you're choosing to go the other direction. This involves confession to the Lord. God, I have allowed my eyes to become more focused on wrong things as opposed to on you. Forgive, help me to keep my eyes fixed on you. This is more than just something we say, this is a change of heart. The thing that God wants anyways, that's where we started. And to make things practical, not just some abstract idea where you say, yeah, I've prayed and I've asked for these things. Jesus instructs the church to go back and do the things that you did at first. Sometimes going back to our roots can be a beautiful thing. Maybe you've seen the Lord move in a particular place, maybe a camp meeting or a church or at a grandparent's home. And you know that this was the place where God showed up and he did something amazing in you. Going back to those places can be empowering. I know that I received Christ at a youth camp in Roanoke, Virginia, The youth camp just happens to be right off of Interstate 81. And every time we go past that, I point it out to my kids. That's the place where God showed up and changed my life. Going back to a place can be very helpful. But the instruction given to them is not merely to go back to a place, but to go back to a practice. The things you did at first, they were great. They helped you to grow in your relationship with Christ. So do it again. Think about it. There's no better time to get back to the basics of your faith. Commit today to begin a regular devotional life, a Bible reading plan. Don't start in a few weeks. You know, sometimes we have all these great plans. So often we make resolutions at New Year's. And I always get a kick out of people in November talking about what they're going to do starting January 1st. Why are you waiting until January 1st? I don't even care. It doesn't make sense. This is the day that the Lord has made. This is the day that if we genuinely want to get back to where we once were, we need to make choices now so that we would be changed. I call on you as a church to go back and do the things you did at first. There's more to this passage, but for the sake of time, I'm going to stop there. I want you to know today I am proud of you as a church. This is a good church with people who have genuinely sought to live holy lives, and that is what God has called us to do but I challenge you to make sure that you have not lost your first love. And I want you to be good. I want you to make decisions that honor the Lord. I want other people to look at your life and say, that's what it means to be a Christian. But more than that, I want you to know the relationship that Jesus Christ offers to you. It's not some offer of, salvation for an experience that happened 30 years ago. My question is not, have you ever said a prayer so that your life could be changed? My question is, are you experiencing that living relationship with Jesus Christ today? Have you lost that first love? Or do you need to go back and do the things you did at first? Let's pray. Father, as we come before you, Father, first of all, we are grateful for the grace you have extended to us. Oh, you have been so good. And we do have an incredible heritage. We have seen godly examples, men and women who have modeled for us what it is to be a child of God. Thank you for our heritage. Thank you for the way you have put things in place for us so that we would have the opportunity to experience you fresh and real. But Lord, we also recognize that for many of us, somewhere along the way, we lost sight of the fact that this is about a relationship with you, and we became so focused on the holiness aspect of it. We became so focused on doing good and living up to a certain standard that we neglected the relationship with you. We believe very firmly, Lord, that you desire us to be those kinds of good, holy vessels. But we believe more than that, you desire a relationship with us. Father, I pray today that you would make us holy, but make us holy because of the relationship we have with you. Or give us a hunger for more of you. I pray today for each individual in this room, each individual watching that you would help us to get back to doing the things we did at first. Maybe that means being with the body of Christ. Maybe that means spending time in prayer. Maybe that means spending time in your word. Maybe that means getting out and serving and making a difference in the lives of other people. Father, whatever it is, I pray that you would get us back to doing the things we did at first, where our greatest desire was to please you, not doing it just because it's right but doing it because it pleased our heavenly father. Father, I pray today that you would become so real to us in the coming year, but let it begin here today. Lord, fill us once again with a passion for you. Restore unto us the joy of your salvation and renew a right spirit within us. And we will give you praise for what you do. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. I want to encourage you this morning as we get ready to to leave this service. If you are at that point where you know that you've fallen into the trap of doing good without truly developing your relationship with God, if you know that, go back and do the things you used to do. Maybe you need accountability. Find someone to walk alongside you to encourage you. I got a couple of people that I meet with on a regular basis and the purpose of it is just to say, hey, how are you doing in your faith? Are you growing? If not, what needs to change? Surround yourselves with people that are going to help you with that. Maybe it's from within the church here, the guys and ladies that are sitting around you right now. Let's make this the greatest year this church has ever experienced, not because of how good we are, although that will be a byproduct. Let's make this the greatest year this church has ever had because we knew Christ better than we've ever known him in our lives. Thank you for being with us this morning. Go in peace.